0: I like Jen said. I live in San Diego, California, so just a two and change hour drive today. Um, From we live close to San Diego State University uh, because we moved here from South Carolina. My husband and I moved 13 years ago to the West Coast to start doing college ministry at San Diego State University, UCSD, and Point Loma Nazarene. So we have a team of people that did that, and then about. Five years in, we, we recognized that our church was 45 minutes away from San Diego State, and we were doing, I was doing women's ministry and strapping in my sweet little toddler and driving him through the traffic and going, I don't know if this is sustainable. This is really far. And meanwhile, God was doing this beautiful work in our school system and in our sports teams, and, and people were coming to know Christ, and we were like, there's a flock that God is gathering in our neighborhood. And so our church kind of commissioned us to plant a church. So we're two years into church planting. So how cool to see a church that's been established for 21 years. This is beautiful. I, um, as Jen said, I also have three boys. So to be in the presence of this much estrogen <laughs> is honestly, truly a gift to my soul. I have, I have sisters, and we played tea party and... Uh, college and secretary and house and I have boys and it is just we did the whole no weapons thing for the first five or six years and you know everything turns into a weapon so a cucumber weapon piece of bark a weapon so that's the world that I live in Um, I actually have some pictures just so you can get to know my family and then I realized Goodness, we haven't taken good family pictures in a really long time. Um, I have sports, I think my PowerPoint's coming, Um, sports-loving children. So a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, an 11-year-old. So I'm just at sports all day long. So the pictures that eventually maybe you will see are a picture of me and my husband at a LA Clippers game, which I don't know how that hits y'all. We're not Clippers fans, okay? But they're cheap. So when your son wants to go to an NBA game, that's all he wants for his birthday, you go to a Clippers game. And if you are a Clippers fan, you guys have some, you got some good players, it's okay. Um, but The other picture is my, my son's and we went to go see Golden State play, which was a, a gift, He actually sweet story. My son asked for that for his birthday and we looked at prices and we said, well that's not gonna happen. But we can uh, go to dinner, that would be fun. And, um, <laughs> And like a sweet, he's, he's 10, Steph Curry is his hero, and he's a sports fanatic. And uh, so he was so sweet about it. He said, that's great. We'll just go to Spaghetti Warehouse. That'll be super fun, super sweet. Took it, took it in stride. And then literally the day before his birthday, our friend of ours called and said, we have four really good tickets to, this, to the Golden State Warriors game in L.A. Do you want them? And I started crying because it was like this incredible moment where God just, God just blessed our little son, and we said, God cared. He didn't have to do that, but he cared, and so we sure enough, I drove them, and then I sat in a bookstore for three hours by myself while they went to, only four tickets. There's four boys, so I was the chauffeur, and then I happily went to the last bookstore, which is such a magical place. Yeah, so I was so content. And then, um, and then I walked back and waited for them and picked them back up. So that's my life. I'm so glad to be with a group of women. Uh, this weekend, we have the privilege of talking about this idea of being rooted. Being rooted. And, and we have four talks. So I'm just going to give you, for those of you who want to know where we're going, I'm going to tell you where we're going. Um, My husband is not in that camp. I am very much in that, where are we going and where are you taking us? And so we're going to be looking throughout the scriptures, and we're kind of going to be topical, but it's going to be very much scriptural. So in each talk, I'm going to try to tie us into a couple different texts. Um, But we're going to be talking about, the first talk is going to be rooted in God. Rooted in God. What does it mean to be rooted in our relationship with God? That's tonight. Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about being rooted in community, being rooted through relationships, okay? And then the next talk, Saturday evening, will be rooted through rest. So what is biblical rest? How is that different from what our culture is talking about as rest? And, and what does that have to do with our walk with God? And, and how does how does Sabbath, the blessed commandment, the fourth commandment, how is that an anchor that, that deepens our roots? in the Lord. And then the last talk on Sunday morning, we're going to talk about rooted to reflect and to reach. So what, why, why are we rooted? Why does it matter that we're rooted as believers? It matters because we image God and we reach others with our lives. So that's kind of where we're going. Tonight, we're going to be talking about being rooted in God. I'm going to read you a quote from Alexis de Tocqueville. Any history majors out there? Not many? That's okay. He was a French, He's a French diplomat who came over to the United States in the early to mid-1800s because he wanted to understand this phenomenon of America. What is this country that just literally broke away from Great Britain, fought themselves into freedom, and have now established a democracy? What is going on over there? And so he wrote this really thick book called Democracy in America, and it is so detailed. It is absolutely detailed and kind of cumbersome. But I want to read you a quote because I think it captures the American spirit. And mind you, this was in 1840. So imagine how much more this is the American spirit now in our flattened, technical, global age. All right? Here it is. In the United States, a man builds a house in which to spend his old age, and he sells it before the roof is on. He plants a garden and lets it just as the trees are coming into bearing. He brings a field into tillage and leaves other men to gather the crops. He embraces a profession and gives it up. He settles in a place which he soon afterwards leaves to carry his changeable longings elsewhere. At first sight, there is something surprising in this strange unrest of so many happy men, restless in the midst of abundance. The spectacle itself, however, is as old as the world. The novelty is to see a whole people furnish an exemplification of it. Did you hear that? He said one of the first things he noted about American culture was our restlessness and our rootlessness. Okay, mind you, we're talking from Europe, where there are cathedrals that were from centuries and centuries ago. Everything in America is new. He says they build a house, and then they sell it before they even put the roof on. That was in 1840. How much more true is that of us today? How much more true is that of Now, you might say, I live in, I live in L.A. I don't own a house, Amy. I rent a house. Or if I did own a house, I will never sell it, because property value, right? Right? So obviously, externally, you might not be moving about, but you have a restless soul in you, and you have a rootlessness about you, as, as an American in general, and then also as a fallen human being. There's a restlessness and a rootlessness to who we are. If you look at the Internet, and COVID, COVID just really stirred this up, didn't it? We were literally stuck in small small spaces for a long time. The nation, I saw a chart about the national parks, like the popularity of the national parks, and it was like, do, 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 boom. Right, because we were stuck inside for so long. Now everyone wants to sell their house and get a camper or a tiny house and go to all the national parks. And there's nothing wrong with that. That sounds like a dream come true. It's ne- I would never do that. In fact, there was a season where my boys wanted to move into a tiny house, and then when I explained to them the size, and I said, so basically, you could only bring a bin of Legos this big. They were like, yeah, we're not doing not doing a tiny house. We'll stay in them. But all that to say, that wanderlust, that desire for tourism, and it might not be travel. It might be the next job, or the next pair of shoes, or the next paycheck, right, or the next degree, or the next promotion. You fill in the blank. But we are a rootless and a restless people. I like to juxtapose that with my my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. They are from Kerala, India, which is the southernmost state in India. She was born in a village that her mother was born in, that her grandmother was born in. He was born in a village 15 miles away that his father was built. It just goes generational. And to this day, they own property and all of their siblings are living on the property. Okay. Uh, there was a, a woman could be a nurse, a woman could be a teacher, a man was an engineer there was just certain things that were decided for you already. Their lives happened in a really small circle. There was a, a rootedness to their lives and they chose to uproot themselves and come to the United States for a, be, a better future for their children right so I just the, just the juxtaposition of even just a generation ago in India to today, we are a rootless and a restless people and and I don't know if you caught it de Tocqueville said it. He said, this is nothing new. This is the human spirit. He was just shocked that an entire nation had kind of taken it, personified it, and decided to live it, right? And so this is not, you know this, this is not an American problem. This is not a problem of modern technology. Those things might have exacerbated that rootlessness and that restlessness. This is a human heart problem. This is our hearts. We are We are uprooted and we are restless because we are not where we're supposed to be. We are meant to be rooted in God. He is our home. He is our habitat. We're going to be talking about that this weekend. Uh, This was the experience of God's chosen people. I love Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 1, 2, 3. If you you ever get ho-hum about the gospel or about sin, just read the first couple chapters of Jeremiah. It's like a spiritual spank. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom all over the place. He says in there, this is God talking to his people. He says they're about to run to Egypt again. And he says, why do you go about so much changing your way? You will be just as disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. Why are you, and he calls you a a she-camel in heat. Why are you running about chasing life and security and significance and hope from anything else other than me? Why do you keep uprooting yourself from me? We are easily moved, we are easily shaken, we are easily influenced. We are desperate to be anchored into something solid and unchanging. And the reason we're desperate for that is because that's what we were made for. That's what we were created for. Um, Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Right? True rest. True rootedness is only going to start when we come to the source, when we come to God. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. There's so many places we could go in the scriptures to talk about this, and hopefully you'll see that this idea of being rooted and growing deep roots into God and his word is literally replete throughout the entire Old and New Testament. But we're going to start tonight in Psalm 1, okay? So if you have a Bible and you want to open it up to Psalm 1, if not, I, I think we have a PowerPoint coming. If not... All of my notes are detailed in your, um, your booklet. So if you need some visual, you can look there. I'm going to read the entire Psalm 1 for us. And, um, and we're just going to listen for this rootlessness and restlessness and rootedness in God. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, this is your word. And it's alive. And it is our very bread It is our very life, just like Moses told the people. This isn't an idle word. This is your very life. Spirit, please illuminate your word. Open open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts to hear from you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Psalm 1. The first psalm in the entire book of Psalms is literally to set the stage and kind of say, hey, if you wanted to kind of get the, the short version of what are we going to cover in the psalms, in these books, it's going to be this. Okay, this is the central image that they give us, the the introductory image in the book of Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here's the image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospered. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. So if you're familiar with genre in the Bible, when you read poetry, and Psalms are almost all, they are, they're all poetry. Um, There's poetry in almost every book of the Bible, but the Psalms is an entire book of poetry. When you read that genre, you're looking for imagery. That's how you're going to learn what the main point of the text is, is there's going to be some central images that you're going to be digging into. So here, it's pretty clear what our central imagery is. There's two contrasting images. There's the tree that's planted that's got deep roots into living water, and then there's the chaff that's being blown around, that has the appearance of life, but has no shape, no form, no life in and of itself. So chaff is not something we talk about. You're not hearing a lot of cute little vlogs or Instagram posts about chaff. So I do want to define it, because we're not really an agrarian culture for the most part. Um, Chaffs are husks or remnants, they're ruins. Think of corn. When you peel off the husk, if you just put a pile of corn on the floor, if you're having a Fourth of July party, that's chaff. Let it dry out in the sun, get all crunchy and kind of light, that's chaff. And he says, that, that is what the wicked are like, but not so the righteous. The righteous have roots. Uh, that's convicting to me because if you're in Christ, you're supposed to be the rooted tree. And yet, how often does your life look like chaff? Okay, so here are some things about chaff. It's completely contingent on circumstances. It has no shape that can hold itself, right? Literally, it moves with the wind. That's the idea. It appears to be alive. It used to be alive. It's no longer alive. That is very different than the tree, which is rooted and blessed under all circumstances because it's, it's, it's stable. There's stasis to it. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, in his book, True Happiness, it's just a short little exposition on just Psalm 1. He wrote an entire book on just Psalm 1. And he says this The tragedy about the man who is not godly, who is not a Christian, is that he is rootless. Or if you prefer, he has no foundations. He has a superficial life, it's all on the surface. Of course, it can be made to look attractive. An artist could do something with a heap of chaff. But it is still all on the surface, all without weight, all without substance. That's who we are apart from God. We are rootless and restless. And there's this invitation in Scripture to come be rooted, be rooted, be established, have sure foundation that is completely unchanging based on your circumstances. Come, God says, be rooted in me. There's an invitation to be rooted. And so now I'm going to take you guys to Genesis 1. The reason we there's an invitation to be rooted is because we were created to be rooted in God. We were created to be rooted in God. Uh, Hebrew literature is front-loaded. So, you know, you go to a movie, you miss the first few minutes, it's what it is. You'll, you'll pick it up and figure it out because the good stuff happens at the middle and at the end. Hebrew literature is not like that. The good stuff happens at the beginning. They front-loaded it. So, when you read Genesis 1, 2, 3, you kind of go, yeah, Genesis 1, 2, 3. In Hebrew literature, that's a big deal. This is the story. This is, what, this is where it's at. This is what, the way we were intended to be created is Genesis 1 and 2. So even though it's just two flimsy little pages in your scripture, it is the pattern for existence. That's where we get the answers to all the questions that worldview asks. What are we created for? Why are we here? What went wrong? All of that we get through the first three chapters of Genesis. Okay, so here we're invited into a conversation that the Trinity is having in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So the Trinity is having a conversation, which is crazy. Genesis 1, says this. Then God said, God, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Just going to stop there. Genesis, the before this, has led up to, it's been all about these complementary beauty, right? It's, it's fish it's the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. It's the light and it's the dark. There's this beautiful complementary beauty going on. And then God creates man and woman in his image. And he says, this is, this is a beautiful thing that I've created. Um, we, we were made. We were the very good. We were the very good. But our dominion, our habitat, the fish had the sea, the birds had the air. Our habitat is the trinity. We were born, our hearts were made to be rooted in the love of the Trinity. And so before there was time, that's why that word, did you hear that? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit having a conversation about creation. And saying, you know what? We have so much fullness, so much love, so much stability, so much surety and certainty that we're going to make something that overflows out of us. God did not create us out of need. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. This is significant. This is the Imago Day. If you miss this, you're missing what the, what, some of the basics of Christianity. Is that you were created out of the love of a triune, self-giving God, who in His nature is relational. And so when we talk about being rooted in relationships, we're going to go back to the same verse, and we're going to talk about this. You you were made to be rooted in the steadfast, sure, unchanging, abundant, eternal, everlasting love of the Trinity. That's your habitat. That's why you feel uprooted and rootless when you're apart from him, because that's what you were made for. That's your purpose. That's why you exist on this earth. And yet, you know what happens in this story. Very quickly after we are created, and God creates a place for us. He gives us bodies. We are an embodied creature, and he puts us in a place, and he provides all that we need. We have peace with God. We have peace with each other. We have inner peace. Let's talk about what our culture is talking about right now. Peace, emotional health, right? That's one piece of what we had in the garden. And then there was peace on earth, peace with creation, we had all of that. God said, I've given you everything you need to be rooted and to grow, to thrive and to flourish. And you know what we said to God? Hard pass, hard pass. No thanks, we'll do it our way. A little tiny seed of doubt from the enemy. And we went down without a fight, right? We said no thanks to all of that. We said, no, we're gonna do it our way. And we, we were uprooted. We were literally uprooted from the garden. We were evicted. Two angels were sent. Talk about an eviction notice. Two angels with flaming swords saying, you can't come back because you've just offended a holy God. Right? You were uprooted from what we were made for. And then there was a break of peace between God and man and self and, crea- and creation. Everything broke. That, you know that. That's the story of the fall. But really, it's this, it, there's an image that... that uh, Isaiah gives us that John kind of picks up on in his gospel in John 15. There's a lot of different ways to share the gospel, right? This is kind of like if you wanted to share the gospel through the story of a vine. This is how the scriptures would do it. They would say that you were planted in the garden. You were given all that you needed for life and for godliness. And yet you were a spoiled vine. You were a spoiled vine. And then there was one that came that was the rooted one. And he was uprooted so you could be grafted back into him. And we're going to do that. We're actually going to go to Isaiah, where God is talking to his people, and he uses this very imagery. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 5, 1 through 6. This is the Lord singing over his people. He says this. He sings a lament. Let me sing. So Isaiah 5, 1 through 6. I hear lots of people flipping, so that's exciting. Um, The Lord speaking to his people. And this is us. This would be us if we were there. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved God had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done to it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Do you hear the Lord's lament over his people? He said, I gave you everything that you needed. Why, why? Why have you gone astray? Do you hear the longing? That's poetic. It's imagery. But the, the concept here is this. I gave you everything that you needed. You chose to walk away. You are a spoiled vine. And God's heart is lamenting for his spoiled vine. We, we see this literally in Genesis 3. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. And it's, it's the God kills an animal to clothe his people who are hiding in shame. That's the first little hint that we have that God isn't going to leave his people. He's not going to leave his spoiled vine. He's not going to leave us evicted from the garden, that he has a plan. And then the rest of the scriptures from there to the New Testament is God slowly rolling out progressive revelation so that we get to the point of the incarnation where Christ comes. Okay, So that we have this spoiled vine, we have this good gardener, a spoiled vine, and then we have this beautiful rooted one. This plant who comes. And isn't it it fascinating that when Jesus talks about himself in John 15. So now you're going to turn your Bibles to John 15. Um, It's like Bible drills, guys. It's like Bible drills. I didn't grow up in the church, so I never got to do those. I would have loved them. Um, So John 15, this is Jesus towards the end of his life. He's talking to his disciples. He's trying to establish a few things before he goes to the cross to die for them. Listen to what he says. He's talking to a Jewish audience. They would have thought of the spoiled vine of Israel, the destroyed vine. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. And this is another hint to what's coming. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Just that line, I am the true vine, that's the gospel story. Spoiled vine, ruined grapes, nothing good, no wine to come. Christ comes, the rooted one, the one who only ever chose to do the will of the Father, the one who never uprooted his soul from the relationship with the Trinity. He came, and in his body, it says in 1 Peter, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so we could be reconciled to God. He says, now you get to be grafted back in. You get to be grafted into the life that you were made for, right? Come participate. Christianity is not just an invitation to imitate Christ. It is absolutely an invitation to imitate Christ. But it is more than an invitation to imitate Christ. It is an invitation to participate in the ongoing life of Christ. It's literally an invitation back into the inner Trinitarian love. That's what Christ died for. He died so we could be back in the the, the habitat that we were made for, which is the love of the triune God. That's what Christianity is. It is an invitation, come, get grafted into Christ and be rooted into the life that you were made for. And, and, what does he say in here? Bear much fruit. That's the story. That's the gospel story. It's incredible. We have this beautiful gospel invitation to be rooted in the Godhead. So when cancer comes, when when things happen with our children, when we're single longer than we thought we'd be, when we're caregiving for a a a husband with Parkinson's disease, we have we have life. We have access to the living water and to all that we need in God. That is the the invitation of Christianity. Okay, I want that's the invitation of yours. That's what we're talking about all weekend. Different lenses of that. That being said, that's the invitation. The invitation is just the beginning, right? Justification happens in a moment. Boom. You're in, you are in Christ. You submit to him. You, you, are, you are made new. Second Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things pass away and new things come. And yet, that's just the threshold. That's just the marriage ceremony for the beginning of a marriage, of a, a life, of doing life with God and participation in him, right? And so there's work to be done. You can be rooted in Christ and be a dwarf little tree. And that's what we don't want this week. And I I came from South Carolina, like I said, and we had these beautiful apple orchards, like climb the trees, apple orchards, like acres and acres. And we moved here. My boys were like four and five. And so I was like, everyone said, oh, you can go to Julian and pick apples. It's going to be great. (laughs) I mean, now 13 years and I appreciate Julian. I love the apples, okay? But you can pick them like this. Like my, there was no. I was like, you're gonna climb and we're gonna get buckets. There was like two, maybe three apples that hadn't been picked. They were really tiny and kind of mealy and kind of hard. And the trees were like this big. And I'm like, orchard. Okay. Anyway, so we don't want to be a Julian orchard, friends. The invitation this weekend, the invitation this weekend is to be a rooted tree, a growing tree. And so the rest of our time tonight, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about well, okay. Assuming that you have received that invitation. That you look at Christ and you say, you are the true vine, I was the spoiled vine, and yet I'm grafted into you. And I have access to the Godhead. I have access to that kind of love and that kind of nourishment and that kind of truth that's unshakable. It says in Hebrews 12, we have an unshakable kingdom. Now that I have that, how do I grow? How do I grow deeper roots? How do I become that Psalm 1? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How do we do that? And so now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to Colossians 2. So Colossians 2, 6-7. Paul is in the process of, he's just kind of explained how he toils on behalf of the Colossian church, the, the Colossian church was kind of a small, forgotten church that Paul, honestly, he was like the spiritual granddaddy, but he'd never actually met them. So he had disabled Epaphras, and Epaphras had gone to Colossae and had planted a church. And they were kind of getting a little wonky with some heresies, and so he's writing a letter as a spiritual granddad. And he's telling them, he starts with these beautiful prayers, and then he takes them up to this soaring Christology. It's all about Jesus Christ. The visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then he starts to talk about suffering. And and he's saying, hey, I struggle for you. I've never met you, but I struggle for you. And where we're picking up is Colossians 2, 6 to 7. He's literally just talked about this struggling and he longs for them to, to have this deep life in God. And he's scared for these heresies that are about to come. And this is what he says in Colossians 2, 6 to 7. They're, they're believers. This is us. We're little trees. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, Colossians and Ephesians, I hope when you hear rooted and grounded, your brain immediately goes Ephesians 2, Ephesians, the prayer. Right? Ephesians three, seventeen and beyond, where he says that I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love of God, right? That you might grow up into maturity. I hope you think of that. Because these are parallel letters. So a lot of times what you'll get in Colossians, if you want to double click and hear it a little more, you you go to Ephesians. So you're gonna hear that later if we were citing the book of Colossians, we'd hit husbands and wives, and you'd get a little sentence, and then if you go to Ephesians, you're gonna get six verses because they're written at the same time. So we kind of get what's on Paul's heart. Paul's in prison and he's going to die soon. And so he's writing these letters from prison. And this is his prayers from prison for these young churches. Okay? His prayer is this that you, I know you're in Christ. I want you to be rooted walk in him, be rooted in him and be established in him. Be established in your faith. And that's what that's what this weekend's about. Hopefully, all of you in this room have received the invitation to be rooted into Christ. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith? How do we continue? Galatians 5 says, you're in the Spirit. Now keep in step with the Spirit. Keep walking with the Spirit. And so Paul, if, if you're an English teacher, I don't know if you would have liked Paul. He used a lot of mixed metaphors. Okay? So in this, in this we have three metaphors. We have a walking metaphor right? Walk with him. We have this tree metaphor that we're talking about this week and this rooted in him. And then we have this established on a sure foundation in him. So he's coming at the same idea of maturity, of growth in Christ. And he's coming at it from different angles to try to say, hey, this is a word picture of what I want for you. This is a word picture of what, it's all the same thing. But they each kind of give us a little nuanced version of it. So I talked about walking. That's Galatians 5, walking, keeping in step with God. You know him, now keep walking with him. That's what you do. You keep going with him. The two I want to talk about are really interesting. So he uses this organic analogy, being rooted in him. This is the same analogy we're talking about, growing and organic growth, deep roots. And when you think of a tree, a tree is not straining. It's a tree going we're going to grow. No, a tree tree does what a tree does. And so you grow roots and a tree grows fruit. That's what happens. There's not a striving. There's an organic spontaneity about a tree. It does what it's supposed to do. And so he says, in sanctification, that's one part of it, is there's this, John 15, abide in me, hang out with me, abide in my love, walk with me, and you're going to bear fruit. There's this natural, organic spontaneity about it. And th- thankfully, Paul uses both metaphors. He talks about building a sure foundation. And that is, that is a building word. That is a strenuous, things don't just get built. Roman aqueducts didn't just pop up, right? Someone had to build them and plan for them and clear them out and level them. That's kind of the, the work and the effort and the strain and the intentionality. So it takes both. So if someone says, sanctification in Christ, is it just this organic, natural, spontaneous, I know Christ, therefore I will grow? Yes. Sanctification in Christ, is it strain and effort and toil and intentionality and work? Yes. It's both. It is both and. That's what Paul's trying to get at. He's trying to get at. there's, There's two parts to this. Alexander McLaren, he's one of my favorite commentators, he says this. The two metaphors, he's he's not talking about the walk metaphor. The two metaphors of our text have to be united in our experience. Neither the effortless growth of the tree nor the toilsome work of the builder alone suffice to represent the whole truth. The two sides of deep and still communion tree and strenuous effort based on that communion building must be found in the experience of every christian who has received christ so i just stop there and this is going to be one of your discussion questions which one do you need to remember right now are you straining and striving and forgetting that there's this beauty of abiding and as you abide god you will bear fruit in due season it says all over the scriptures in due season you will bear fruit or maybe you're over here, I'm just going to grow, I'm just going to grow, and you're not putting forth any effort. There's really no sweat to your walk with God. Maybe you need to be reminded of this side of the analogy. Hey, no, if you want to grow deep roots, there's work to be done. You have a part to play. Uh, that's, that's God is sovereign and man is responsible. That's one of those mysteries of the Christian faith. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Absolutely, the only way you will grow is if God is gracious to you, right? If God blesses and pours out His Spirit. And the only way you will grow is if you're serious about growth. It's both and. God is sovereign and man is responsible. So we have work to do and God has work to do. And we have this glorious union together doing it. That's how we're going to grow. And some of you in this room desperately need to be reminded that God is going to finish the work that He starts. Maybe you're in this super, this super legalistic kind of vein right now where you're just doing all the things and you're saying, God, why aren't you blessing me? Where are you? You need to remember God is going to grow his, his people. He's going to finish every work he starts, Philippians 1, right? Or maybe you're in this room and you're coasting. You're spiritually just kind of coasting. I have a plant in my backyard that I have not put miracle grow in in a really long time. And I'll tell you, it's not dead, <laughs> but it's not growing, it's a hibiscus, and it's like one little flower every couple months. Because I haven't nurtured it. I haven't put any kind of growth in there. I haven't tried. It just It's fine. It's living. Some of you are like that. And maybe this weekend is a wake-up call. Hey, I have a part to play in my growth in God. If I want deep roots, there's things that I can do that God loves to bless. He loves to make us fruitful. That's what he says. I want you to bear much fruit, disciples. That's what he's about. He loves that. And yet there are, there are ways in which he goes about doing that. And my, one of my heroes, he's going to be at the bookstore, not him, but his book, A.W. Tozer. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, one, he's not, he's not alive. Um, so that would be weird. Um, but he talks about that there is, when we talk about God being impartial, you know, we think of an impartial judge, and that's beautiful. There's no bribery in God. But it also means this. That God, what God gives to any one of his saints, he would give to all. He doesn't have special favorites. He doesn't have ones that are like, oh, they're the spiritual elite, so they get more. You get, he says, you get as much of God as you want of God. And if that's not convicting, I don't know what is. God says, I will give you as much of me as you want. That is a prayer God always says yes to. So, how much are you wanting God? How hungry are you for Him? How serious are you about growing those deep roots so that when the suffering comes, and it will come, you have the roots to stand, right? How serious are you about that? We have a part to play, and God has a part to play. So this last little bit is literally just going to be a quick thought on how do you grow deeper roots, and then a quick grid. Each one of these talks is going to have an equipping tool. I love tools and charts and they're all the kinds of tools and charts that you could literally write on a cocktail napkin or a little napkin at a coffee shop. So you're sitting down with somebody and they're talking about wanting to grow in God. I would hope that maybe this would be a tool that would be helpful in that conversation. So everything we have, I hope you're going to get theological richness and real practicality. Like, okay, well, what does this mean for my walk with God? So if you are serious about growing deeper roots, I have two words for you. Delight and discipline. Delight and discipline. And it's not delight like you think. (laughs) It's let him delight in you. Let him delight in you. Sit under his love. That's what Ephesians, we talked about this. That was a cross-reference, right? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and the height and the depth and the width of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That you might be filled to all the fullness of God. Paul says, I need you to have eyes to see his love for you. It starts there, right? That's what John says. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. So the first step to growing deeper roots is actually just receiving. And it's uncomfortable. I, I feel more like a water fountain with the love of God. It's like I like to come, get a little sip. I'm going to walk away, fill up my little water bottle or my little hydro flask situation. And, or my, I just got a Stanley I'm not a groupie, but I, they're really awesome. Someone just gave me one, and it's pretty awesome. I've, I've, been, I've been hating on the Stanleys for a year now, and now I really love them. I like to fill up my cup and then walk away. Paul is saying, come and just sit under the waterfall of God's love. Receive his aboundless love. Let the Lord delight in you. He died to delight in you. Let him love you. It's uncomfortable, it's so uncomfortable to be loved without merit. It's so uncomfortable, but that is how we grow. We start with his delight in us. It's a wonder, the, the the hymn, Two Wonders Here That I Confess, My Worth and My Unworthiness. We sit under that love and we remember the God who delights in us, who died to delight in us, and that starts to take deep root in our lives. So we start with delight. You, you notice I did not start with discipline. Discipline is part of it. It is absolutely part of it. But if you do the discipline and you don't understand that he delights in you, it's not going to go very far. Right? So you, you sit under his delight. You meditate on the word of God. You do scripture memory that reminds you of his love for you, of who you are now in Christ. Right? You do that work of, of letting him delight in you and receiving his delight. And you walk with discipline. It's delight and it's discipline. It's not either or. Disciplined, When Jesus is praying for his people in the high priestly prayer, he says to God the Father, which is another great conversation in the Trinity. If you want another glimpse into the Trinity, like we did in Genesis one, John seventeen, it's. Inc- I'm actually we're just gonna read it. This is that beautiful. Um, John seventeen. Just listen to this conversation. Jesus has been on earth now for thirty three ish years, and this is his prayer modeled before the disciples. He's talking to the Father. Listen to what he says. John 17: and beyond When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "Father, this hour, the hour has come. glorify the Son, the Son may glorify you, since you have given authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life that they might know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent." I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then he goes on to say, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Okay? I just wanted to read the the conversation of the Trinity part because it's incredible. He's saying, I want to come back to the truth. I want to come home. Ready? I've done my work. I'm going to give your spirit and I want to come back. I want to come back to the Trinitarian love that I left so they, they could be, be joining us. That's so beautiful. But he says, sanctify them in the truth. Culture's got a lot of questions right now about truth. Jesus doesn't leave it up to grabs. He literally says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Right? So if you want to grow in the love of God, if you want to be rooted in him, you have to be rooted in the word of God. That is how you know his love. That's how he reveals himself to us as the word of God. So you have got to be in the scriptures and you've got to get the scriptures in you. You've got to, or you're not gonna grow. You're gonna be like my hibiscus plant in the backyard. That's where you're in. Nothing's gonna take you from the Father's hand. No one can snatch you. But you're gonna be this little dwarf plant. Don't be like that. Get the word in you. Get the word in you. And so the tool I wanna give you for this is is three concentric circles. It's in your I think there's a graph in your in your booklet. It's duty, desire, and delight. So the big outer circle is duty. The next inner layer is desire. And then the kind of the, it should be the bullseye, but I can't, I can't do charts, y'all. So it was really hard to move. It. I just said, you, you understand, it's a bullseye. It's in the center. It's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be an ellipse kind of falling down on the back. Um, that's just because I can't do PowerPoint. But it's the bullseye. The delight is the bullseye in the middle. Duty, desire, and delight. Our culture is an authenticity culture right now. And so I can't, we did college ministry for 25 years. I can't tell you how many times I heard this conversation. I want to love God, but I want to love him authentically. And so I'm only going to study the word when I feel it. Because otherwise it's inauthentic if I come to the word. And, and that is saying that there's only one thing, and it's just delight in the center. If it's not delight, they jump straight into disobedience. It's either delight or nothing. That's it. That's not scriptural. That's not scriptural at all right? God loves any one of those. Duty, desire, delight, all of them make the heart of God pleased. God is proud of us when we show up in the morning and we open our scriptures and it feels like dry bones and we don't want to be there. God says, that's okay. I'll receive that. That's good. And I'll work with that. Amy Carmichael, another one of my spiritual heroes, she says that the spiritual disciplines is literally like dragging a boat Like a canoe or a a sailboat, actually in this analogy. A sailboat to a lake. And then putting it in the lake and then sitting on it. That's your job. The sailboat might go somewhere. It might not go somewhere that day. But you just got to put your boat in the water. And then when God wants to, he's going to move that boat however he wills. His spirit's going to blow. Sometimes you're going to go miles. It's going to be an awesome quiet time. And sometimes you're going to be like, hmm, okay, sail's down, time to go. And she says, all your job to do is to get the boat in the water. Position yourself in a place in the world where God can move. And then let God do the rest. That's duty. And there's a place for that in the Christian life. There's a place for that in the Christian life. Now, God, in a perfect world, we're always living in delight. But we live in a fallen world. And a fallen nature still lives in us. And so there's a war going on, Paul says in Romans 7 right? Galatians 5, the law of the spirit is against the law of the flesh, and they're at war with one another so that you do not do what you want. There's room for duty. God is delights in our duty. When we show up and say, my son is a runner, he does not delight to run every day. He runs seven miles and he pushes his body. He's like, mom, this is miserable, but I love running, so I do it, right? uh, Today I didn't love running, but I love having run, that's the idea of duty. God is pleased with us. We have, um, yeah, anyway, there's room for duty in the Christian life. Um, Psalm 119, I love this. I, Psalm 119, 30 through 32. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I am clinging to your testimonies. O oh Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the way of your commandments. You will enlarge my heart. Do you hear that? What's coming first? Delight or duty? Sounds like duty to me. I'm setting my, my, your words before me. I am choosing to run in the path of obedience. And I'm asking you while I'm doing this to stretch my heart. Make my heart want to do the things that I'm doing out of duty. Right? That's what he says. Psalm 42, David is talking to his own soul, saying, Soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. Right? He's not feeling this effulgence of, of beauty and delight, and his heart isn't a stir for a good theme. That's another psalm. He's saying, I, I don't want to hope in God. So come on, we're going to go hope in God today. That's what he's doing in Psalm 42. C.S. Lewis talks about this about duty. He uses the imagery of, of duty as a crutch. And I like that, right? There's a time for a crutch. So he says, a perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love, for God, and of other people, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need a crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when your, our own legs, our loves, or tastes, or habits can do the journey on their own. So yeah, the point is you're going to want to start running and walking your spiritual taste buds as you, as you do duty, as you put yourself before the Word, as you come to church, and you go to community group when you're tired, and you've had a really long night shift as a nurse, and you, you sit, you pull your boat in the water and you sit and you say, Lord, I'm available to you in your word. You do that long enough and your heart's going to change. And you're going to start to desire God so that you move from duty to desire. And desire is like a want to want. It's like the beginnings of a longing. Like, I really do want more of you, Lord, but I also really want to watch this Netflix show tonight, but I really want you. It's this kind of teetering, like, I, yeah, you're moving my heart. Uh, We see desire in in Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. What's coming first? Light and truth, right? Duty, it's leading me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then when I see your holy hill and your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Right? So duty leads to desire. Desire gives way to delight. Yes, that's going to be glory. We're only going to delight in God going to be amazing but on this earth we're also going to experience desire and duty and all of them are obedience all of them please the heart of the father disobedience is when we say i'm just done with that i'm not even going to put myself i'm not going to put myself in the lanes where you show up right and god is gracious and he'll pull you back he does but if you want to grow deep roots you've got to take seriously delighting and discipline and discipline. And so I tell people all the time, where are you? Are you duty, desire, or delight? And how can I help you? If you're in delight, let me borrow some. That would be great, right? But if you're in duty, okay, so what? What book of the Bible can we study together? How can I come alongside you? How can I help you? You you need a crutch right now. And that's the beauty of the body, isn't it? One of you is delighting at your table, and one of you is barely making it at your table. And you come together as the body and you and you and you strengthen each other's faith. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do church and community group and small group and care group and cell group and whatever you call your groups is because we need each other if we're going to take seriously delighting and discipline so that, remember, the whole point of this whole talk is that we would be rooted in God. We would be rooted in God. Let me pray for us, and then I think we're going to move into discussion groups. Holy Father, gracious Son, present Spirit, thank you that you are. You're our triune God. We were made for you. We have no home apart from you. You are eternal refuge. You are our dwelling place. And you came and you tented among us so we could be with you. I pray, Spirit, that you would move in our hearts to remind us of the beauty of the gospel, to remember that we have a Savior who died so he could delight in us and bring us into fellowship with him. And God, we want to grow. We want to be rooted and established in love so that we could reach the heights of the fullness of God, like Paul says in Ephesians and Colossians. And we can't do that if we don't abide. So would you help us? to be delighted in by you, and to live lives of discipline, that we would take seriously your word because your word transforms us. It's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. God, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people. You know which plants need to remember organic growth, and you know which plants need to remember that we need fertilizer and we need to water. Um, Would you apply that spirit to each one of these saints? these beautiful souls that are yours. God, we need you. We welcome you this weekend. We are dependent and desperate for you. And we know you love to show up. So would you do that as we study your word? We pray.